0: Will you allow Jesus to change that part of your life? Because every single day the Lord says, Daniel, will you let me transform you today? Will you let me take this part of who you are that I'm not, I don't have a preference for, that isn't aligned with my word? Will you let me change you? And if we say yes, then we're giving God the place to be God in our own lives. And the beauty is, is that that's what it's all about, isn't it? Because is there anybody here saying, he fixed it all in me and there's no other places to
1: work on? If the past year has shown us anything, it's that we can change. We can do things differently than we've done them before. Well, today, Pastor Daniel asks you if you're willing to let God have some room to make changes in your heart. You see, you, like everyone else, have areas of your life that don't line up with God's preferences. But God wants to transform you from the inside out if you'll let him. So, say yes to Jesus and let him get to work. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Deuteronomy chapter 22 as he continues his message, Randomness.
0: Everybody who went on one of these trips came back and was different Because all of a sudden your life has been changed Because you went and you did something Not just, because it's like, you know You only get so many weeks off of vacation So you're like, well, instead of going on a cruise You know, on a spa vacation I'm going to go and I'm going to serve people who need help And all of a sudden you have a whole new way of looking at the world Because you're like, oh I never had so much fun on a vacation Because I'm helping other people because there's something to the ethics of Jesus's kingdom that we don't get in a culture of me and mine and I. And there's a joy that comes when we step out that we would never have known until we step out. So says, I just want to encourage you to step out. Take that step of faith. Do something that you wouldn't normally do, but do it for someone else and say, if I was that person, how would I want someone to treat me? And treat them that way. If I was in that situation, how would I want someone to help me and help them that way? And that changes the way that we look at the world. And it's right here in regards to your brother's oxen or his donkey. and I always say "donkey like Shrek," because we're post-Shrek movies, and you know and all the rest. If you don't know what Shrek is, don't worry. Anyway, <laughs> verse five, you all know what Shrek is, right? And that's I' say,, of course you do. Verse 5, a woman shall not wear anything that pertains to a man, nor shall a man put on a woman's garment, for all who do so are an abomination to the Lord your God. Now, this is church, and so I expect you to know this, but uh, cross-dressing is not prohibited by God. That's what it's talking about. It's talking about a woman dressing like a man or a man Dressing like a woman Now this is what you have to realize And I realize we live in a culture today Where there is immense amount of confusion About everything And now that confusion is leaking into something As natural as human biology I have lots of friends who are in all different places And I had a very brilliant person say to me Well, biology does not equal gender And I almost fell off my chair I'm like, excuse me? And they're like, biology, biology doesn't equal gender. And I'm like, that was the most absurd thing a very smart person has ever said to me. But that's the culture that we live in. We have confusion about gender. And what is this? Now, here's the thing. Because we live in the culture that we live in, the church is having a very hard time not conforming to the world. Now, I'm not saying we should hate people who have gender confusion. Our job is not to hate anybody. Our job is to love everybody. But you can love someone and still say, Listen, you're confused. Because the Bible places a distinction between the sexes. Like, do you guys remember reading about that? There was a couple in England, they had a child and they refused to, to socialize that child based on gender. It's not gonna be blue for a boy or pink for a girl. It's like, it's just gonna be unisex. You know what happened to that child? That was a boy. And guess what? He's a boy. <laughs> You know, it's like boys are boys. Like they have boy genitalia. They have boy biochemistry pumping through their system. You even read about the way God designed gender in utero. You know, you find that they call it, and I remember this stuff from college, I call it preferential female differentiation. What it means is in utero, if there's not the presence of a certain amount of testosterone, the embryo is that baby, that life is going to be a female. But if there's a certain amount of testosterone present in that life, it's going to become a male. But without the presence of the extra testosterone, it's going to be a female. So they say that conceived life will be female unless the presence of testosterone. Now, you guys can press that however you want, you ladies, and work it to your advantage. But you know what I mean? But it's like, it's one of those things that there are these differences. But in a broken world where everything is broken, it makes sense that people's ideas of gender and sexuality breaks as well. Now, because we live in a broken world, we don't just say, well, it's a broken world to have at it because Jesus came to fix what is broken. He came to unbreak what is broken. But we live in a day and age now where not only is there this confusion, but according to Romans chapter one, the issue is not only those who practice it, but those who condone and champion those who practice it. And so as Christians, We are hemmed in by the word of God because the word of God is the word of God. And our cultures can believe whatever our cultures want to believe. But you and I are called to be different. And so here, the idea is, if you're a girl, then you're a girl. And if you're a guy, you're a guy. Does that make sense? And I realize in saying that, in this day and age, someone's going to say, well, that is bigoted, that is, you know, archaic. It's like, no, it's just kind of the way it is. And what I find in our culture, and I think this is important for each one of you to make sure you grab hold of, is that our culture wants the only voice and will demonize anyone who doesn't hold its voice. You know what that's called? That's called hate speech. See, our culture says, if if you don't agree with what we agree with, we will berate you and we will beat you down. We will call you names and we will demonize you. And really what's amazing is, is our culture is making the mistake they're blaming on other people as well. Because what it is, it's about control. It's about brainwashing. And know what the beauty is? God's word is designed to wash our brains because our brains need washing because they get dirty. They get dirty. But again, in saying that cross-dressing, don't do it, you know, the key is our job, and I think for those of you here who are Christians, don't ever hate somebody who does. Because the wrath of man and in that, the wrath of humankind will never produce the righteousness of God in somebody. It's the goodness of the Lord that leads to repentance. And I think the people of God have really failed at that. Because we've made the mistake of seeing somebody for where they're struggling and not seeing the potential that God has placed in them. As people created in the image and likeness of God, but fatally flawed. I know what the beautiful thing is. Maybe you don't struggle with gender confusion, but you struggle with something else. And God's working on you. And so we have a tendency to demonize struggles that we don't have. Rather than saying, we all struggle. Our struggles are different. But God's grace is God's grace. Does that make sense? I think that's so super important because there's nothing more challenging to a belief structure that says you can do whatever you want and we hate religious people because they're haters when you meet somebody and you actually don't hate them and you say like i don't agree with you but i don't hate you in any way because we're all growing you know and now all of a sudden that shatters a whole stereotype that our culture says that if you're a christian you're a hater you hate everybody you know and what's funny is they always say well who are you to put your beliefs on me but what's amazing is is they're putting their beliefs on other people. I was like, I just don't want competition of placing my beliefs on you, which is it's very fascinating. You know what I mean? It's like the government. It's like they'll shut down a monopoly because the government doesn't want any competition. You know what I mean? It's like, you might well, you have to pay taxes to me. The government's like, whoa, 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 whoa. You're not allowed to do that. It's like, we well, got a monopoly. I'm not condoning anarchy. I'm just using it as an example. You know what I mean? But really, that's, that's what happens, and so as Christians, we hold God's word as God's word, and we love people who are struggling. Because, again, remember what we said before, everybody falls short. But God's grace is sufficient. And what's amazing is in the church in Corinth, it talks about people who came out of gender-confused lifestyles, and it says, and of such for some of you. But you've been washed. See, don't worry, we're not going to... If we were to go around the sanctuary, we were to share all the different struggles we've all come out of, who came out of this, who, there's a million struggles... But the common denominator is that Jesus has saved us. And the beauty is, is when we exist in this place of grace, yeah, people come out of all different backgrounds. Who is an alcoholic? And who is a, someone who stole? And who's always grew up in a religious home and judged everybody else? And, and who struggles with eating a box of Twinkies? And who, you know, who, who struggles with drugs? And who struggles with this thing? And who struggles with this thing? You know, but the common denominator in the people of god is that yes we all struggle and god's grace is more sufficient than the mistakes that we make. And i believe that when we are able to say listen i know that that's your thing but listen if you give god room in your life in jesus he will transform you. I say listen you don't have to live that way. Now i just i just had this a couple of weeks ago we we had two women who came they've been watching the 2 minute messages and they were both lesbian. And they decided to come to Crossroads and they introduced themselves to me before church. They grabbed me after church. They say, so we really like this church. It's like, we really like the ministry. We've never felt such joy here. And they said, but we want to know what your position is on same-sex marriage. I'm like, well, in what regards? What do you want to know exactly? And they said, well, you know, and she said, this one girl said, like, you know, I'm a lesbian. I grew up in the church. When I was 18 years old, I told my pastor that I'm attracted to girls. And my pastor said, you're going to hell. Get out of here. Threw her out of the church. She said, this is the first time I've been back in church in about 20 years. And so we started having a discussion. I said, well, first, let me say this. I'm super sorry that your pastor spoke to you that way. I'm like, because Jesus Christ came to save people from hell, no matter where they come from. And then we had an amazing discussion. I'm like, listen, we believe the Bible. We believe that the Bible says that homosexuality is a sin, just like a whole list of things, pride, arrogance, selfishness. You go down heterosexual, sexual immorality, You know, went through the whole thing. And I'm like, but you know what's amazing? I'm like, everybody in church has a history that they needed forgiveness from. And I'm like, so I ask everyone at Crossroads, no matter where they come from, if they would allow Jesus to change their life. And I'm like, so that's my question for you. Would you allow Jesus to change this part of you? And she said, you know, she stopped. She's like, well, no, I I don't think I would. I'm like, well, then what I would tell you is that your sexual identity is your God. And I'm like, and then what I would also tell you is that you're of way more value than your sexual identity. And I think deep down, you know that. And this gal, her eyes welled up with tears. And she said, I think you're right. And we started talking about this. And I said, listen, and she's like, you know, and I said, listen, in your situation, this identity has been formed through rejection and all these things. So there's, I'm like, but what I want to tell you is that I ask everyone in Crossroads and myself that we have to give Jesus room to change our lives. And I'm like, so how about this? Can we pray together? I want you to pray for me. I'll pray for you that God will change our lives. And then we'll give God any room at all to change our lives. And it was beautiful because she prayed for me. And I prayed for them. And they said, can we come back here? I'm like, yeah, we got, we're all in process. Come on. And so she knows exactly where we stand as a church. And she felt totally loved by the Lord because I said, look, you're in process too. And then listen, no matter who you are today, that's my thing always. Will you allow Jesus to change that part of your life? Because every single day, the Lord says, Daniel, will you let me transform you today? Will you let me take this part of who you are that I'm not, I don't have a preference for, that isn't aligned with my word? Will you let me change you? And if we say yes, then we're giving God the place to be God in our own lives. And the beauty is, is that that's what it's all about, isn't it? Because is there anybody here saying, he fixed it all in me, and there's no other places to work on? Anybody want to own that one? Good, because I'm putting my hand down, I'm sticking it in my pocket, I'm hiding them, you know? I'm grateful God isn't finished with me yet. He's working on me. He's not done with me at all. And the Bible says that we can be confident of this very thing, that he who started a good work in us will be faithful to complete it until the coming of Jesus. Which means that he's not done with us until he takes us home or he comes back for us. All right, verse six, moving on. If a bird's nest Happens to be before you along the way in any tree or on the ground with young ones or eggs, with a mother sitting on the young ones or on the eggs, you shall not take the mother with the young. You shall surely let the mother go and take the young for yourself, that it may be well with you and that you may prolong your days. This is an encouragement to be a hippie. This is like be kind to animals. Like the idea is, if there's a mom with her eggs, right, like be compassionate even though you're going to eat the eggs. Like that's literally what it says. But you know what's amazing? Oftentimes we don't think about that stuff. We forget that God created Adam and then Eve and humanity to be the stewards of his good creation. And oftentimes we don't treat creation as God's good creation. We just do what we want to do with it. And we're reaping the whirlwind of poor stewardship as humans. The idea of exploitation of creation. Like this speaks about us being good stewards, us fulfilling God's encouragement to Adam to be good stewards. Of, now listen, I'm not saying we shouldn't eat eggs. I'm not saying we should all become vegans or vegetarian. I'm not saying you should all do CrossFit or something. You know what I mean? It's like, but the idea here is that in our stewardship, we realize that in a sense that animals have feelings too. You know, it's like, if you're going to take the eggs, let the mom go first. Don't take them all together. It sounds crazy, but it's in our Bibles. And so there's something there for us. And so I'm not saying we should worship animals. I'm not saying we should consider animals to be our best friend. I always tell guys, they say, dog, my dog's my best friend. I'm like, no, you need to get new friends. You know, it's like your dog, you know, it's not your best friend, you know. You know, and how many of you guys have seen the dog as my co-pilot bumper sticker? You just pray for that person, you know. Next, verse eight, when you build a new house, then you shall make a parapet for your roof that you may not bring guilt of bloodshed on your household if anyone falls from it. Now, this is a simple encouragement to make your house safe. Now you gotta realize that we don't have flat roofs today, but in the Middle East they had flat roofs because it was a arid climate. And in the middle of the day, and this was long before air conditioning and ice blocks and all these different things, that in the middle of the heat, you wanted to get out of the house you'd go up on your roof, and it's a flat roof, and it almost functioned like a deck. So the idea of the parapet is like, you need to put safety railings around your roof so that nobody falls off your roof. And this is a very compassionate, again, it's an ethical thing where you're saying, I'm going to love someone enough not to let them die falling off my roof. You know? And so it's a reminder to make the things that you own safe so that people can enjoy it. And all through the scriptures we find out of all these people who end up on roofs, like, I mean, King David when he saw Bathsheba, The visual of seeing her bathing in 2 Samuel 11 led to his adultery and the murder of her husband. In the same way, a tent was pitched on the roof so that Absalom could defile his father's concubines. And so the idea here is that you want to make sure that you keep the things that you own in good working order so that it's safe for other people. And the idea is to make sure that we don't function in a way that is negligent uh, to caring for other people. Now, I'm going to take... Just a few more verses. Look what it says in verse 9. You shall not sow your vineyard with different kinds of seed, lest the yield of the seed which you have sown and the fruit of your vineyard be defiled. You shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together. You shall not wear a garment of different sorts, such as wool and linen mixed together. Now, this is the laws of separation. Now, what's interesting is I've met many, many people, especially if they're more rabid atheists, where they always want to be like, how could you believe in a book that says you can't wear like a shirt with cotton and polyester? And what they're missing here is, first you have to realize that this was going on thousands of years ago, before all the modern advances in technology, but you're also missing the principle that goes all through the Bible, which is God does not want us to be mixed. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked together with non-believers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion is light with darkness? See, the idea is that God wants to make sure that there are separations between things. And so the idea of like not yoking an oxen and a donkey together, obviously an oxen is much stronger and a donkey is weaker, and so there's those type of issues. Mixed seed in a field Again, if you study from a scientific perspective, each type of seed needs different soil parameters to blossom. There's a number of things. But the idea is that God hates mixture. And the idea is for each one of us, we want to always remember that we are called to be separate, we're called to be peculiar, and we're called to be unmixed. We don't want to have that idea of we love Jesus, but we have all this stuff that Jesus has nothing to do with in our lives. And so we have a lot of these things that exist there principally so that we will always remember that God wants us to be separate. That's why it says don't be unequally yoked together with non-believers. It doesn't say you shouldn't love non-believers. It says, but you shouldn't. If you're a Christian, you shouldn't marry a non-Christian. Why? Because in marriage, what you really want is the love of God coming through your spouse. And you can never hope to get that from someone who doesn't know the love of God. And so we hold out for God's best. In those ways And in all these different areas We remember that God wants us to be distinct He wants us to be separate And this is put into play right here in these verses Now, verse 12 You shall make tassels on the four corners of your clothing With which you cover yourself Why? Because the Lord is a fashionista, of course No, I'm just kidding The tassels serve as a reminder of all the Lord's commandments and Israel's obligation to obey those commandments. It comes out in Numbers chapter 15. I'm going to read it to you, verses 37 to 41. Again, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel and tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put a blue thread in the tassels on the corners. And you shall have the tassel that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them, and that you may not follow the harlotry which is in your own heart and your own eyes are... Are inclined to And that you may remember And do all my commandments And be holy for the Lord your God I am the Lord your God Who brought you out of the land of Egypt To be your God And I am the Lord your God And so these tassels are meant to be reminders And it's so important for us To develop systems of reminders How many of you have ever try to remember something You put like a rubber band on your hand You guys ever do that kind of stuff? Or when you want to remember something, you write it on your hand. So really, the Lord said, I want you to wear these tassels. And Jesus wore them because a woman touched the hem of his garment, and she was healed of her infirmity, that flow of blood that was going on for more than a decade. See, it was meant to remind you of who you are and who you are supposed to be. And what I really want to encourage you as we close is that I don't think that you need to wear tassels on your garments, but I think you need to always find ways to remember who you are in Christ and make sure... We are living the way that we know that we are in Christ. And so whether that is you, I'll take scriptures and in our house. We have little, they're not, uh, we're not all that decorating so that we just write them on index cards. We paste them everywhere. When we do that, because we want to remember God's word, you know, so it's not fancy, it's not nice, but it's like it gets the job done. And so the ways that you remember who you are is important because the Lord knows, left up to our own devices, guess what? We're bound to forget who we are in Christ. Because we're so used to being who we were outside of Christ. So, in this random junk drawer of laws, a lot of things to think about, amen?
1: Jesus is real. It could be writing a note on your hand or setting an alarm on your phone. Whatever it is, there are lots of things you do to help you remember what you need to. Well, today, Pastor Daniel urged you to put things in place to help you remember who you are and who Jesus is. Just like the Israelites were to put tassels on their clothes, you also need something to keep pulling you back to the truth of whose you are. I want to thank
0: you so much for listening to the Jesus is Real program. And I realize that there are many of you, you're not a born-again follower of Jesus. You've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. But as you've been listening, you've been saying to yourself, I want to begin to follow Jesus. I want to help you do that right now. We're going to pray a simple prayer that just acknowledges who Jesus is in your life. So if that's if you're saying yes to Jesus for the very first time, pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I'm giving you my life. Thank you for saving me. I believe in you, your life, your death on the cross, and your resurrection. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I ask it in Jesus' name. And we all said together, amen. For those of you who just received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm so excited for you. I want to know that you did it though, because so I want to help you take your next steps with him. So pull out your mobile phone, text the word SAVED to 51400. S-A-V-E-D to 51400, and my team will get in touch with you. We want to get some more resources in your hands to help you on this journey. Now, my team, we want to
1: share some stuff with you. So don't go anywhere. Thanks, Pastor Daniel. You know, the Bible says that when one person comes to Jesus, the angels in heaven rejoice. And we rejoice with them today if you just prayed that prayer with Pastor Daniel. Again, to receive some resources that are going to help you in this new journey with Jesus, take out your mobile phone right now and text the word SAVED, S-A-V-E-D, to 51400. Next time on Jesus is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will keep working through this blueprint series by exploring what the next passage has to say about marriage. You'll be reminded that marriage is intended to be a picture of the faithfulness between Jesus and his church. So when marriages break apart, that picture also cracks. Please be aware that this passage will deal with some harder issues that are for mature audiences only. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through this series called Blueprints. Until then, may God bless.